Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I am here with a new guest this week, and we're going to dive into a topic that we've actually got a lot of emails about, and you guys have been kind of waiting for us to cover this topic. Um, I am not with Kit today, but I am with someone you guys might recognize from my season of The Bachelor and also from Bachelor in Paradise. Um, so welcome, Raven, to the, sh- the pod. Yay. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm excited about these topics you have for us today. Yeah, me too. Um, So today we're going to dive into abusive relationships. Um, Raven's going to share a little bit about her experience with abusive relationships. I'll share a little bit of of my experience and then we'll try to get to some of your guys' letters about it. Sounds good. Cool. I'm kind of nervous. I've never really publicly talked about any of this before in detail, Okay, but I'm excited to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for like being open to talk about it. I mean, you did... You shared a little bit on our season. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't a big part of my storyline per se in the bachelor world. Mm -hmm. But when we got to Paradise, I kind of opened up a little bit and I've had a lot of girls ask me about it, but I have yet to talk into detail about it. So yeah, I hope we can help some people today. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, what was that experience like for you to open up about it a little bit, uh, you know, in the small amount that you did, but it was on national TV? Oh, I I have mixed emotions about it because I don't want people to look at me differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also think it's so important to talk about. So I just have such a mix of emotions, which I feel like every... Um, survivor of abuse has Mm -hmm. when they talk about it. They feel empowered and they also feel uh, they're afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, even how you started off saying that you didn't want to be looked at differently. Exactly. That's that's a huge reason a lot of the times why people don't come forward because they don't want to be seen as, you know, damaged or a victim. Exactly. That mm -hmm. is my hang up. I don't want people to see me as a victim. And I kind of shared a little bit about this um, talking with Eric Bigger a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. is um, being an advocate was just not the path for me because Mm -hmm. I felt like I was still a victim if I talked about it. Mm -hmm. So those are some things that I still struggle with. And I've heard that from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So as strong and as as confident as I think I am, as I know I am, I still really struggle with that. Yeah. I remember I was at an event um, in Seattle. It's called Runway to Freedom. It's Mm -hmm. a charity fashion event for survivors of domestic violence. Yes. And I went and at one point they asked, you know, like for everyone to stand up or like raise your hand or something um, if you've had experience with with domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And like so many people stood up. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I looked at everyone and then I was like, I just sat down. I was like, no, I'm fine. You hesitated. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I don't want people to see me standing up. Like I don't want people to, you know, put those judgments on me. And again, it was in this room of like very welcoming, like it was a very safe place. But I still also had that thought of like, I don't want to be viewed differently. Like I am strong. I am, you know, I know my worth. Like, yeah. (laughs) And, and also you have this inner battle with yourself saying that you're over it. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to talk about it anymore because you're so strong and so independent and, and you will, you're almost embarrassed of the person that Mm -hmm. you used to be that I totally get it. 
Yeah. Uh, an embarrassment and almost like feeling shameful that oh, you were even in that position in the first place. Because and, beforehand, I would be like, I wish a man would try to hit me. <laughs> I wish a man would try to control mm-hmm. me. And there I was right in the middle of it. Yeah. And with every... Um, avenue that I could have taken to get myself out of it, I chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's embarrassing. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability and hard work to process through that shame. Absolutely. Yeah. To Something I still deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I may forever deal with it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a strong believer that like, every relationship is a learning experience. And even if we reflect a lot over one relationship that was really abusive, there's still going to be triggers and things that are going to come up for us, even in relationships with people we're not romantically involved with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it is definitely, I think, a a lifelong recovery because you can can counter it at any corner. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. Let me stop for a minute to talk about my one true love, FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box for busy women to discover new brands and products for a life well-lived in fashion, beauty, home, wellness, and fitness. Don't worry if you miss the seasonal box because here's a great spring editor's box with favorites from spring and other past seasons. The spring editor's box has a lot more customization options from a clutch to eyeshadow, tote to lip gloss. These are the products this season that are back in the box. A few of my favorites are the My Tagalongs Hot Cold Pack. I use that when I travel. And the Aisha Curry Mug. When I get a FabFitFun box, I cannot wait to see what's inside. The suspense is so exciting because I know I'm going to be getting full-size products, absolutely no samples of anything. And many products' as individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. I just got my FabFitFun Spring Editor's box and loved it. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. Go use my code to get $10 off your first box. That's $39.99 for over a $200 value. Go to fabfitfun.com to subscribe and use my code TAYLOR. Go to fabfitfun.com to subscribe and start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code TAYLOR to get $10 off your first box. That's products valued at $200 for only $39.99. Again, go to fabfitfun.com and use my code TAYLOR to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. All right, now back to the show. If, you're, if you feel comfortable, do you want to kind of share a little bit about like how this relationship started for yeah. you? And- for sure. Um, I... Uh, Never really dated anyone in high school. Um, I just wasn't, I I liked guys. I went on dates with guys, but I just didn't find someone that I really wanted to be with. Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, I'll get to college and I'll start there. Yeah. (laughs) High school boys were just not my thing, you know? (laughs) High school boys aren't the greatest. (laughs) Yeah. And I was so ambitious uh, with school and sports and whatever else I had going on that I just wasn't, it just wasn't a priority of mine. But um, I did date this um, boy who really pursued me. I mean, pursued me to the point where I almost, like our first date, he was like, I'm not letting you say no. Mm. Like, we're going to go. And was that mistaken for confidence? That was mistaken for confidence. Yes. And that Mm. that was attractive Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. And so I went on a date with him, and honestly, Taylor, it is so hard for me to tell you timelines. Yeah. It's hard for me to tell you 
exactly what led up to that. I have um, pushed it back so far into my mind. Um, But soon after I started dating him, I became uh, a little fearful of him, but everyone around him was fearful of him. So Mm -hmm. in a way I felt protected. Mm -hmm. So I was misled uh, to mistake his problems for confidence and for protection. Um, Another thing is he um, battled with drugs. Mm -hmm. And I did not know this until he he came over to my house. He did not have a very good upbringing. And um, neither did my parents, so they really felt for him. Yeah. And so they took care of him a lot. And he was at the house and he was running 103 temperature. And um, long story short, we rushed him to the hospital. The doctors called us in and told us to say our goodbyes to him, that he had got blood poisoning from shooting up. And the all of it combined my love for him, the abuse I was going through, the fact that he was about to die, he recovered, went to rehab. They said, I mean, he had 10% chance of living. Wow. He recovered, went to rehab, came out of rehab, and it got completely worse. Mm-hmm. And I felt so trapped. Um, it started emotionally, became physical, um, to the point, I'm leaving out a lot of detail because, like I said, it's hard to give you a timeline, but it came to a point where he followed me. I uh, moved away, two hours away, and he followed me and would stalk me outside of my dorms. And it got so bad that I would hide in friends' dorm rooms so he could never figure out really where I was. Um, I didn't join a sorority for the sole fact that he was showing up to the recruiting events. Hmm. And um, I would walk out to my do- uh, I was very depressed. And my parents found out that he was hurting me. And the whole reason why I moved away is because he bit me and left and broke my rib and knocked me out all in one night. And my mom bought me a new shirt and I wasn't able to put the shirt on Mm -hmm. in front of her because I was hurt so bad. I couldn't lift my arms. She saw my arm. Then my ribs hurt so bad that I couldn't lift my arms above my shoulders. So, um, and then being in college, I mean, trying to get away from it, it was still happening. It was, uh, he had no boundaries. We, we had a restraining order. It didn't matter. I went to the college. The college w- could only do so much. Yeah. He'd go back to jail, come back after me. And I remember I was, my mom knew I was depressed, so she had bought me, like, a little tanning session mm-hmm. and was like, go tan and, like, enjoy yourself or, like, have something yeah, to do. Yeah, treat yourself a little. Yeah, treat yourself. And um, all while I was in college and studying for um, finals, and so I had walked across the parking lot to the tanning place from where I lived, and I heard footsteps, and I hunkered down behind a car, and... As I hunkered down, I like came to myself and thought, I hunkered mm-hmm. down because of I heard a man's footsteps. This is, I'm so fearful. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up and it was him. And I realized how much 
danger I was in and how much control he had on my mind. And I just, that night, I mean, it was a realization for me that I didn't, at that point, I didn't care. I didn't give in to him. I was over it. He could kill. I told him, you can kill me tonight. I'm over it. I'm not going to be trapped here anymore. It doesn't matter. But luckily, things didn't turn out that way. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But that was a whole big spill. There's so many different parts that led me to be where I was at. It wasn't just he was some abusive monster from the beginning. It Mm -hmm. started out very small. And I think when we get to the questions at the end of this, there, I mean, I can see exactly where these mm-hmm. relationships may be leading. Yeah. Well, we can, we can actually answer one of those now as you kind of go through like what that looked like um, in the beginning, like what kind of those signs are. We did get a letter from someone kind of asking like what those signs are. Um, She wrote and said, I've been in a relationship with someone for about three years now. And ever since listening to your podcast and watching you on Paradise, I feel like I may have been in a verbally abusive relationship this whole time and blindsided. Can you (laughs) tell me some signs you had that told you you were being verbally abused in your previous relationship and how you handled it? I'm someone who always sees the good in others and understands that nobody is perfect and every day is a chance to get better. When do you know when enough is enough? I feel like I'm exhausted from expressing what I want out of this relationship and getting blamed and made fun of for expressing my emotions to him. So in the first part of the letter, she's really just asking, like, what are some of the signs that you're being verbally abused in a relationship and Mm -hmm. that she feels kind of blindsided by it? Like, she Mm -hmm. wasn't really aware of it until seeing um, kind of where, like, I had called out Derek for, you know, using language in a relationship that was a trigger point for me and was a boundary. It was unacceptable yes. to me. Do you remember me telling you, a lot of people were saying you were overreacting, but yeah. do you remember me telling you, I get it. Mm-hmm. I will never let a man, I don't yeah. care if he's kidding or if he's not, yep. call me the B word, mm-hmm. say F off. Yep. None of that is acceptable to me mm-hmm. because it is just a stepping stone exactly. to saying it when you're mad and meaning it. It's not. A, it's not okay. Yep, that's a... A boundary I had to draw, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that for me is one of the signs. Is using that, you know, language. Like I have quite a bit of a potty mouth, and yeah. you know, me too. <laughs> we both know. <laughs> yeah, but I won't use that towards my partner. Exactly, and that 100 percent for me was one of the smaller signs. Was like this was my very first relationship, the guy I lost my virginity to, and he, you know, would slowly like like start to make comments about like acting like a slut or dressing like a slut oh, yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. like, don't be a bitch or, like, F- shut the fuck up, like, fuck off. Like, yeah. those kinds of statements to me were definitely signs that this relationship was heading in a, or was now in a verbally abusive place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What other signs can you think of from your experience, would you say? Um, hindsight is always twenty twenty, mm-hmm. but I do remember things being said to me, not even so much him calling me a bitch or him saying like, you're such a slut, but I would, he would say things that would make me question who I am. Mm -hmm. And then I remember looking in the mirror at myself and thinking, well, he says, I'm, he says, I'm not that independent Hmm. and I needed him. And I was like, I've always thought I was independent. I mean, I've gone all this time without a man. 
And I slowly... Started to believe that. Started to believe that. And I realize now this was all so that I would be mm-hmm. solely dependent on him. Yeah. He was really morphing me. He was really conditioning your conditioning brain. Conditioning my brain. Absolutely. To think about yourself how he wanted you to be. Yes. So it wasn't even harsh words that were being said to me. It was it was words that were changing the way I thought about myself. I was independent. So for you to say I wasn't, mm-hmm. you were trying to change me. You know, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I had a better example than no, that. That's a good one. But I also, when I think back, there was a lot of like possessiveness oh, around me. So um, same. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. It was so bad. Hanging out with other people when he wasn't there or even just communicating with other people. Like I remember even just over Facebook, like it's like, oh wait, why'd you like that? And Uh like that was an issue. And really looking back, like that was all him projecting his insecurities out on me. But it it made me feel like, oh, okay, sorry. Like, I guess I shouldn't have done that. Like, I guess I shouldn't talk to that person. Uh And like, that's again, conditioning your brain to have him... To, to be codependent on him yes. and to look at him as your everything. Right. And I like, exactly. And when I was with him, if I, if I was running an errand for a teacher mm-hmm. and I got caught, if he was out in the hallway at the same time and saw me walking with a boy, it was on like yeah. Donkey Kong. I mean, yeah. it, he would physically threaten the boy. Yeah. And then I would think he's just trying to protect me. And he would tell me, he would like do these wild things and then pull me aside and be like, I just love you so much. That's why I'm so protective of you. And that's why I just want to be careful. I know that God's intentions are bad and I'm just trying to protect you. And I'm just... So manipulative. So manipulative. Um, kind of going back to what you had said earlier about like conditioning your brain to think a certain way about yourself mm-hmm. uh, reminds me we got this letter and she kind of speaks to that a little bit. She says, I just got out of a verbally abusive relationship. For about a year, it was an emotional roller coaster and constant lies being told to me about me. In the relationship, I began to question the things he would say to me. Am I a liar? Am I a cheater? Mm-hmm. Am I bipolar? We would break up, get together, and break up again. It would always be my fault. And he would always point the finger at me. I had the problems. After a year of my family battling with me to not be with him, I couldn't take it anymore and broke up with him. I feel like I lost myself a little bit in the relationship and trying to get my life back on track and my mental health. What advice do you have to get the lies out of your head and feel better about yourself? This, I think, is the hardest thing to conquer is to rewire your brain into thinking how you used to. Mm-hmm. Or just... And even in a, in a new, in empowered a new sense. Yes, exactly. Um, I would, I'm trying to think of the moment that I was like, all right, I kind of feel like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a hard process. Yeah. Mine, I think, happened throughout... Like not even until other relationships had even happened. Oh, yeah. Like I had gotten mm-hmm. in other relationships even after that. Um, I think a large part of it, again, like hindsight, you know, is looking back and thinking, you know, he keeps mentioning that you're a cheater or that you're a liar and to ask yourself like, really, where is this coming from? Why would he yes. say this? Like, yeah, I remember being told some really ridiculous things and always thinking like, 
in a way, I would just have this like ner- nervous like giggle to him because it was so like out there. That was like, yeah. why would you th- why would you think that? Like, no, uh-huh. that's not what I'm doing, or like, no, that's not where I'm at. Yeah, and but that's how I knew. Like, yeah, I should not believe that. Exactly. If my initial mm-hmm. gut reaction was like, I'm definitely not lying. Yeah. Like, what? Like what? <laughs> yeah. What? But after a while, that does start to you know. Yeah. I also, um, I have a lot of strong women in my life. Um, my mom, and even though we we're butting heads throughout this whole situation, um, my my mom and my two best friends that I've grown up since I was in preschool, basically, um, were they never gave up on me, and I yeah. think that was a huge thing. And um, one of my friends sent me a quote, and it said. You know, friends are there for when you need to laugh, but real friends are there when you're trying to find yourself again. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get emotional. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh gosh, I like laugh and I cry because mm-hmm. it just meant so much, and it was uh. just like such a changing moment. And um, about the same time, my other best friend sent me like a little meme that was like. You know, real friends are there when you laugh, basically. And it's the same thing. And then the other half was like, but your best friends will, when you're sad, will get the covers and get under the tent that you've made for yourself and lay there with you. And so, excuse me. (laughs) I always cry when I talk about these women because I just feel like they... um, they really stood by you. Yeah, and got me out of a dark place where another man never could do that for me. And I feel like a lot of um, women think they have to find a better man than what mm-hmm. they are with. Really, yeah. it has nothing to do with finding a better man. It has everything to do with finding yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've found that women that really know you that really know your heart are the best to remind you of who you are when you're kind of lost, you know? So that was important for me. And that's how I got a lot over a lot of things, but not a lot of people have the support system that I had. I didn't have that. I mean, partially because I didn't open up do it and I did oh yeah girlfriend it took years before mm-hmm. I told the truth I still have yeah. not told the truth about yeah a lot of things that happened then but yes yeah. absolutely I mean my my mom did know some of what was going on um and you know I think she kind of like how you said your family like really empathized with him yeah um and same with with my family his his family situation was really not healthy and he definitely had became a part of our family Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and then kind of when they had to get school involved and all of that was when my mom like really stepped up and I remember that was like a time where I definitely felt a lot of support from her and now I'm gonna get emotional um (laughs) but she he had I don't remember I think it was when he had first started to kind of get physical Mm -hmm. and um then I had told the school guidance counselor and the school guidance counselor mm-hmm. called my mom and my mom like lost it and yeah. called him and left him a voicemail like bitching him out. Yes. Like she was like, if you ever fucking come near my daughter, like oh, she yeah. laid it down. And I remember seeing him in the hallway right after he had got the voicemail and like, it was just 
a lot of emotions happening. Yeah. But I know that was definitely a moment where I was like, wow, okay, like my mom has definitely got my back here. Exactly. And I really didn't have a lot of girlfriends at the time, especially because of my relationship with him. Oh, same. My, I had ostracized myself mm-hmm. from all of my friends. Yeah. And thank God they just didn't give up on me. Yeah. And even I think I... I started, again, he was the person I lost my virginity to. And so then to me, like being intimate and having sex was like a way to show that you care and show that you are loved. And so I then would just seek that out. And if a guy was giving me that like sexual attention, it was like, okay, like, yeah, he, he's, he loves me then. Yeah. Like that wasn't my brain was telling me and it was trying to find that better man. Mm-hmm. And then I dated someone who was the complete opposite of him yeah he was like my best friend he would never hurt a fly like he was just the sweetest nicest person ever yeah and that still didn't heal me yes mine was that's funny um because I never slept with the man that emotionally and physically abused me um and one reason it's very twisted um one of our last encounters, he did try to, you know, rape me. Um, but thank God it didn't happen. Police were called and everything was okay. But for me, I, the only thing I had left, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 24, 24. Um, and one of the reasons why I waited so long, a lot of people say, was it because of your religion? And I'm like, yeah, that, that does play a part. However... Um, I waited that long because it was the only thing I had left that a man did not take away from me. Mm -hmm. And mind you, this is not a daddy complex. I have the most wonderful father in the world. I would put him up to any other Mm -hmm. dad. It's not a dad complex is how, is why I got in this uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not a dad complex of... I didn't know what men were supposed to treat me. Yeah, I mean, being in a emotionally and verbally and physically abusive relationship and not having opened yourself up in that way, mm-hmm. I think definitely then that would be something is that's sacred to you and that you yes. would really, really want to hold on to. Yes, and after him, I called myself a man-eater. I wanted nothing to do with a man. The only man I had something to do with is my dad. That was the only man that I believed was good on this Mm -hmm. earth. Because you didn't know how to trust. No one had like given you proof or experience that they were going to be safe and that you could trust them. Right. And my parents had such a loving relationship. Never heard my dad call my mom a name. Of course they fought. Mm -hmm. They always taught me um, really good morals about their marriage and about love. Mm -hmm. I think I was so disappointed in what my first love was like that I thought it was unobtainable, which was just another law that mm-hmm. was reinforced by him. Yeah. But um, going back to virginity, I didn't, I, um, that was the only thing that I had left of myself that yeah. was my identity as a virgin. Mm-hmm. And it was also something he couldn't take and he didn't succeed at taking. Yeah. Everything else he took, my heart, my mind, your innocence. My innocence. He just did not take my virginity. And um, could he have? Very well. But on the flip side, um, why I think he didn't try to rape me sooner, 
Um, I think at the very end of our relationship when we are already in the court system and stuff, um, he was so desperate yeah. to have the last piece of me that he was willing to rape me. Mm-hmm. But beforehand, he almost saw my virginity, which is what is so sick and twisted about this all, as a trophy. He would brag about it. And um, if someone said something to me or sexually or like a guy friend like was hitting on me or mm-hmm. something, he would go up in flames about it. And it was just this sick thing about my virginity that he just loved. Mm-hmm. But it was also my stronghold mm-hmm. in finding myself again because that was the yeah. only part of my identity left. But anyway. And so how did that then in your next relationship or relationships um, play a role? How did, you know, that, how did you kind of build that trust and come to a place where you were then comfortable opening yourself up like that? Oh, I dated guys after him, not a lot, because there I went for a good two years without really dating anybody that I just didn't have sex with. And when you are a young 20-year-old dating yeah. guys, they don't want to they don't want to seriously date. Li- yeah. Taylor, I would literally be at the club with some of my girlfriends. I also didn't drink mm-hmm. until I was 21. Um, I would be at the club sober and guys would be hitting on me mm-hmm. and everything and my girlfriend girlfriends would come up or so-called girlfriends and be like, "Oh, you know she's a virgin, right?" Oh. And they would literally turn their back and (laughs) walk away from me. But I'm like, exactly. That's not the kind of man Mm -hmm. that I need or want or deserve. And, but, you know, when I did lose my virginity, I still lost it to someone who wasn't worthy of it. And it was a complex. I got in another relationship that was, I wouldn't say it was verbally abusive or, um, Definitely wasn't physically abusive, but a terrible relationship and where I ended up losing my virginity to prove myself worth. Mm. And it all tied back to what I had been through. Um, But now, you know, now I'm with Adam and someone who is so solid and secure and loving and kind and stable, you know, it is... It is not a hindrance Mm -hmm. in that department. Yeah. I think one piece that, like, we struggle with, or at least that I know I struggled with, was, like, getting to that point of accepting the love that you think you deserve. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. that being a good, healthy, fulfilling kind of love. um, Yeah. That I know I (laughs) dated my fair share of guys who were dating me for, you know to get sex or to just mess around Mm -hmm. um, or that really just didn't actually see my value. Yeah. Um, But in how you get to that place of, you know, thinking that you do deserve a real true love. Yeah. I think exactly what you were saying, I think there's two sides to that. I think there's one side like you're explaining is, you have to get to a point where you think you deserve love. Mm-hmm. For me, I knew I deserved to love, and I was going to prove it to yeah. a man who didn't really want me. 
Mm-hmm. And so it was, it's... Um, to try to get that like validation. To get validation, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I dealt with that for, I mean, Jesus, there are a lot of crap that wasn't abusive, but just yeah. stuff you just don't do in a relationship mm-hmm. just to prove to someone yeah. that why would you do that to me? I'm mm-hmm. such a good person and I'm yeah. like, have so much love to get, give and I like treat you so well. Like mm-hmm. I would move mountains to be, to prove to you that I'm worthy of your love. And, and, you know, in reality, they weren't wor- worthy. Mm-hmm. And that was a mindset from way back when I dated this abusive person that I was still carrying over years mm-hmm. later, five, six, seven years later. So <clears throat> it is a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. And I think I, at least looking back at my relationships, I started to see the forms of, of abusiveness or forms of, you know, toxic unhealthiness in the relationships come up in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like with my first, it was definitely very emotional. It was very um, dependent. It became physical. Um, and then in, in others later, it was very much like, in some cases, like I was like a piece of meat. Yeah. You know, and then like you talked about trying to kind of prove yourself to them that you're worthy of of a lot more than that and that you bring a lot more to the table. And I, I I think it's really interesting because all those different forms of abuse um, take all different kinds of processing to overcome Mm -hmm. and to feel empowered and feel like, you know, like you're worthy of that. And I think I'm sure it even comes up sometimes in my relationship with Derek because sometimes he can like be so sweet, you know, Mm -hmm. and... I'm like very resistant to that sometimes. Oh, me too. You're going to get me to cry. And <laughs> um, I know that part of that is because of how our relationship developed on the show. Uh-huh. And then I associate the show with negativity. Yes. And so it's like hard for me to accept that something positive came from the show. Mm-hmm. And that's him. Like he's mm-hmm. my positive that came from the show. Right. And, um, you know, I see sometimes like I have to check myself like no, you are worthy of his sweetness. You know, mm-hmm. like you do deserve that. Like don't don't fight it. Like open your heart to that. Um, when I think before, like you do start to kind of close yourself off mm-hmm. and like it's really hard to let those walls down and be like, yeah. it's okay. Like this can be a safe thing, you know? And to like trust someone else yeah. with your heart like that is really, really scary but that's like the beautiful thing about life you know that's the beautiful thing about like experiencing yes. love like you have to risk that hurt you know and it, yeah. it, for me it is worth it but sometimes it is really hard to push through oh absolutely and I know you guys cannot see us but we are both <laughs> just wiping tears from our eyes this is very hard to talk about yeah. um it is and it I mean I'll say something and Taylor tears up and Tyler says something and I tear up because we relate and I hope that everyone listening is can relate. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way with Adam. I mean, he would say things, he's a words of affirmation kind of guy and he would say the sweetest things and I would be stone cold in the face. Yeah. And on the inside, I really appreciated it, but I didn't let my guard down enough to... You didn't want to show that. Oh, I did not want to show it. It was weak to show that mm-hmm. I liked that yeah. attention. And there was one time we were 
lying in bed and he was, he had been so sweet all day and he was just like pouring out his heart to me about how much he loved me and how thankful he is for me and just on and on. And it just was, I was cold. And he turned and he said, Raven, you have to say something back. You have to open up your, he said, I can't be in a relationship where you don't tell me how you feel. He said, I'm left wondering. And, and in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm laying in bed with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't lay in bed with anybody else. Yeah. Like, is this really not enough? Have. I'm physically yeah. here with you. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I'm physically here. I mean, we've had, we have great fun together. How can you not know how I feel about you? But it was my ego and like not wanting to let down my guard to the point of of being disappointed if if I told him how much I cared about him and then something were to happen. Yep. And I didn't want to look stupid. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just coming from this show, you just have all this sort of skepticism and Absolutely. all that anyway. You just don't want to look stupid. And after he just poured his heart out and said, Raven, you have to say something, I realized I'm like, it's safe to let my guard down with him. Like, it is okay. He's proven it. I, we have been months in this thing, and I have to soften myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, that's who I really am. That's who I was before I was perverted into something that I wasn't by somebody. So it exactly what you said with you yeah. and Derek is how, how I have felt as well. Yeah, and that's... I mean, through, I, I absolutely love and adore Brene Brown and her work. And a lot of it is about vulnerability. And that's part of the reason I went on the show is because mm-hmm. I was already dating and like trying to challenge myself and being vulnerable and like letting those walls down. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. In my grad program, we had this uh, course that was a group counseling course. And we were both practicing as the clinicians, but also as the clients. Oh. And so it was like one of my favorite courses. We dug really deep. And one of my classmates said to me, he was like, you know, you think you let people in, but you really don't. Like you're really good at getting to know people and you think you let them get to know you, but you mm-hmm. really don't. Yeah. And I was like, what is he talking about? Like he doesn't even know me. He doesn't even have the right to say this. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's right. He, he doesn't know me. And that's his point. Yeah. And so then that's where I started like really trying to let those walls down and like, yeah, open myself up in relationships. And what I found was in Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, she talks about all these different vulnerability armors that we have and Mm -hmm. foreboding joy is essentially the one that I do the most frequently. And that's what we just talked about where you're literally trying to beat vulnerability to the punch. You're trying to protect yourself in advance from getting hurt. Oh yeah. Vulnerability. Yes. Before you even said that, I was going to say I felt being vulnerable was such a weakness and I couldn't even handle people that Mm -hmm. were vulnerable because I saw them as weak. I think that's one of the reasons why I got so mad at Christina Mm -hmm. during Paradise. Although not all of it was shown, Mm -hmm. as we know. Um, (laughs) Kind of made me look kind of crazy, but not all of (laughs) it was shown. But the fact that she was being so vulnerable to a man pissed me off. It was triggering to you. It was triggering to me. And later I had tweeted once it aired, A lot of people were saying, you were just being a good friend. And then the other half was saying, you're terrible. Yeah. Um, I tweeted and I said, listen, I was 
yelling at my old self. Mm -hmm. I wasn't yelling at Christina. And some people got that, some people didn't. I hope the people that didn't get it never get it. I hope people that have not been through what we've been through never go through it. I hope they never understand it. I hope it's a foreign language to them. But vulnerability to me, I still struggle with. Yeah. So it's a, it's a struggle at every different connection. Level. Yeah. yeah. There are some times where I feel like, oh yeah, I can be really open here. And then other times where I'm like, this is not safe. Like I need to protect, protect myself because oh, yeah. what if this happens and what if this happens and then that could happen and mm-hmm. then I'll be looking back and thinking this and it's... And it's then ex- I knew better and I'm mm-hmm. not that stupid girl that I used to be. Yeah. It's exhausting to live your life like that. It is exhausting. And you, you block yourself from mm-hmm. some beautiful moments and times in your life by doing that and relationships. Absolutely. And I think for me, one of the turning points was, again, this wasn't really, I mean, that, that Runway to Freedom event that I talked about, that yes. was right before the show aired. That was, what, two years ago? Um, and even then, I didn't want to stand up. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, vulnerability becomes even harder. It becomes even harder to open up in relationships and to develop those and to like just trust yourself and to know your worth and to like be happy with who you are. And for me, one of those turning points was realizing like my relationships didn't necessarily look like yours. Mm -hmm. You know, my relationships didn't necessarily look like women who were in the hospital or had to get restraining orders, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't still abusive. Exactly, yes. And that was something I really struggled with was like, you know, well, if it was only emotionally abusive, is it still like domestic violence, mm. you know? And like minimizing it and almost trying to like give him the okay. Yeah. Oh. Give his behavior yeah. a pass mm-hmm. and avoiding that like victimization of myself. Yes. And it was interesting because that even came up on the show. Like when Derek had made the fuck you, fuck off comment that again was very cut up and edited. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, I got a lot of flat, like flack for that, like you said, of people being like, I was overdramatic. I was, but I'm I remember crazy. us talking and I pulled you aside. Mm-hmm. I said, Taylor, you're not being dramatic. Yeah. I wouldn't put up with that shit mm-hmm. either. Yep. You know? And, and all of that feedback though, all of that like shaming of being like, oh, she's crazy. Uh-huh. Like, Derek, you need to run for the hills if she was freaking out about that. Like, that A, reduces my openness yes, to absolutely. accepting that, you know, that, that, that it is a boundary for me and that, that stuff did happen and that was serious. And I think it also then on the flip side only perpetuates yeah. the, that kind of Behavior. abusive language to yes. be okay in our society. Yeah, how you were being treated, which my, it was so cut up. It you was know, even the place where he actually said, said it, it. They mm-hmm. showed in a different location. So I was like, "What <laughs> <Yeah>. is this?" <laughs> yeah, but the, the people's response to you was so dismissive. Yeah, of how bad it hurt you. Yeah, and it's that's surprising. where I think it's again like those small little things that are that that do actually mean so much and are a I think a stepping stone mm-hmm. and a very. <laughs> valid sign of abuse in a relationship yeah we're just so normal for some people exactly and and that's where like that writer you took the words out of my mouth yeah Mm -hmm. and that's where like that writer feels like 
after she watched it, she's like, oh, like, I feel like I've been blindsided now because mm-hmm. maybe she's realizing this kind of language has been... It's not okay. Mm-hmm. But that she's been thinking that it's been okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, some of my friends that are in relationships, they're like, oh, yeah, mom. Like, I remember being at, on a trip with a couple and she asked him for mm-hmm. a drink because he was near the water. And um, he was like, fuck you, get it yourself. Oh. And they were laughing. I was like, "Uh, what (laughs) is that? I don't know what kind of relationship you guys have, but if he's saying that to you in front of me, Mm -hmm. in the tone that he said that, what's going on when you're at home? Yeah. Not that it's my business, but it definitely makes me worried. And that is to me is not normal to talk to your the person you sleep with at night that you share everything with when you come home and you have a bad day you talk to about you are plugging into this person and you this person is is essentially your um forever hopefully you're speaking to them that way yeah. it scares me it's dangerous i think i mean when i think back to my first relationship that was a lot of it. And it wasn't until near the end when he definitely could feel me starting to slip away from him, Uh starting to feel me, you know, realizing that this stuff wasn't okay, that he then started to get very, very possessive and get very, actually, I I really haven't talked about it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kind of, like you said, I don't really go into details. Yeah. Um, But thinking back to it now, there were several nights even where I would have friends over and he would just show up at at our house Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and would get upset at me and I'd have to go out in the car and I was out in the car for hours and he would just sit there yelling at me. And it, have you had any contact with him since? Oh, Yeah. I mean, he still to this day tries to contact me. Yeah, so I remember I got like a, fa- a really long Facebook message from him. Um, and it was years later and it was him like really apologizing and coming, you know, to the really to terms with everything that he had done and how he'd impacted me. And it was a very like genuine apology. And mm-hmm. he went down this whole other path. Like he converted to being Mormon and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Um, so it... I I, just, I never responded. Yeah. I didn't say anything. And I never respond either. But it was very weird. Very, um, and then actually he even, I had seen someone had commented on something that he posted on Facebook and um, for like a, a mission thing. Like mm-hmm. I guess he gets, you know, moved around places. Yes, yes. And he had posted that he was moving to Oregon, but that he was bummed because he had asked for Seattle. And girl, the amount of fear that came over me in that moment was like, oh my God, is he, is he in Washington state? Yeah. I had this same guy, mind you, this has been almost 10 years ago. Yeah. I had the same guy who's done all this to me, message me and say, I'm driving through your part of Arkansas. I'm going to stop by your house. The fear mm-hmm. and the anxiety and the control that he still had on me was incredible to the point where I didn't leave my house for a week because yeah. I was scared to death. Mm-hmm. So I understand it. And that's where even if you do that, like processing, 
it still is a lifelong thing because I feel like mm-hmm. you never know when that stuff's going to come up. Yeah. Like, I had no warning that I was going to receive a Facebook message from him. Yeah. And, you know, when stuff like that happens, for me, it triggers mm-hmm. everything else. Everything else. And I remember I got that message um, from him while I was at a, a ball game with my parents. And I, like, received the message while I was at a concession stand buying Skittles in the fear, I froze and I like slow motion saw the lady working behind the counter grab some Skittles and hand it to me. And I instantly was having a flashback to a horrible, physically abusive moment in my life that involved me seeing a Skittles in the floorboard of the car. And I thought, wow, I have not even thought about that memory until just now. It's amazing that your brain pushes that back. I literally had not thought about it. And it was a horrific, horrific memory that, you know, I I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of abused women, especially physically abusive or abused women, have ticks. Mm -hmm. And I have a tick. And my tick was just bounce. And my parents know, oh, well, my mom knows that I have this tick. I couldn't stop ticking after that. And I, and I just felt like the world is crashing around me. Like he's coming. I remember this horrible memory that I'm going to have to like work through now. And now my mom's going to see me ticking and she's going to know I'm upset. And like, and then you, your parents hurt when you hurt. Yeah. And then you and have you feel to bad. T- you feel bad. And, and then you, haven't told them everything. And if you do tell them everything, my mom is liable to mourn until she dies about it. And so it's um, an ever-ending, I mean, never-ending battle, I feel like. It's almost like, I don't want to compare apples to oranges, but I'm going to. Um, Being addicted to alcohol is a lifelong battle. Mm -hmm. Being a victim or you know, yeah. a survivor, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is a lifelong battle. And there are triggers and there are... Well, there's that dependence. Oh, th- yeah. There are a lot of similarities. Yeah. There's the dependence on the substance or the person. Mm-hmm. There's the withdrawals that start to come up. There's the triggers. Yeah. You know, it's... I mean, in, in some ways, the, uh, you know, abusive relationships have a lot of codependence on each other and Mm -hmm. that without that you're then left to face all the pain and you know all the emptiness that's within you Mm -hmm. and that's where people then will drink to push it down or they'll just stay in that relationship to just not have to face that right um and not to say that like people who are who are in abusive relationships are in it because they want to be mm-hmm. or that they're doing it to themselves. That's yes. certainly not the case. Um, but there is such this pull and it's it's what's normal yes. to you. It becomes the, <clears throat> your, your norm. I, I, you're exactly right. I remember um, during all this, I met this boy while I was in high school, but it, this all transpired and got worse um, physically and emotionally throughout my early college years where I bounced around to four colleges. I don't know if anyone knows that about me, but I attended four colleges and that is because I was running away from an abuser. And um, I don't know where I was going with this. I lost my thought. Oh, um, Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to major in psychology. And I was sitting in my psychology class and um, 
my favorite professor at the time. I do not remember her name. It's so <laughs> terrible, but it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, she had bright red hair and she's just really passionate, very smart. And um, she dressed a little quirky. And I just thought, man, she really is like owns herself. Yeah. And looking back, I'm like, I wish I could be as confident as she is, as smart as she is, as, a, you know, badass as she is. She doesn't care what yeah. anybody thinks. She's this and this and this. Well, she was lecturing one day and she said, today we are going to talk about abuse and abusive relationships and how it um, affects people mentally and the signs and all this stuff. Well, this girl, the, I, immediately my heart was yeah. like, oh my God, I felt like I, I had, had a banner above my head that's <laughs> like, I am a victim. Yes. But um, there was a girl, it's a, it was an intimate class. <clears throat> And there was a girl in front of me, and she was like, I would never be in that situation. Uh, it's just so dumb that anybody would stay. Like, why would you stay? Uh, if any man hit me, I swear I would be out. I was like, girl, you were me three years ago, and I hope it never happens to you. Yeah. But as she was talking, as my professor was talking, she said something that... No one, I heard everyone around me say exactly what the girl was saying. Mm -hmm. But my professor finally said something that I'm like, that's it. That's exactly how I feel. She said, she went over to the girl and got right in her face, bent down and said, I want you to put your hands on your eyes as if you were a horse walking down a road in traffic. You know, those little Mm -hmm. blinders that they have on. And she said, you and you, the two guys on the side of her, I want you to um, just wave at her, say, we have you. I want you to just make a lot of noise. She said, but I want you to look at me. Mm-hmm. And so the boys beside her were like clicking and clacking and like yelling and saying, look over here, look over there. And that my professor said, look at me. She said, I'm the road that you, the horse, are walking on. And she said, okay, let down your blonders. And then once her blonders were off, as the horse, if you take their blonders off, she could now see Mm -hmm. everyone around her saying, come this way. And she said, that is how a person who is in an abusive relationship feels. They have blinders on, put on them by their abuser to where they cannot see any direction for help. They hear it. They hear what you're saying. They're hearing you say, hey, come over here. I'll help you get out of it. But they don't see it. And I was like, that is exactly. I felt like a horse walking on a road with blinders. I had accepted my destination of being with this person. And even if my mom was crying out for me, if my friends were crying out for me, I didn't see it because Mm -hmm. I was abused. And that helped me understand a little bit about what was going on in my mind. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I felt like someone got me and I wasn't stupid. I was hurt. And that I have no idea who this lady is or I would actually call her and tell her that she somewhat helped me. But that's exactly, I mean, how I felt. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's a beautiful like analogy for that, a beautiful metaphor for it. Um, and the girl had nothing else to say. So it was also <laughs> like she got in her face and dolled her out was, and it just yeah. was like all, I was like, that's exactly what I want to tell everyone around me that's being mean to me. Yeah. You know, but. And I imagine too, it like helps you to then have some self-compassion for yourself. Absolutely. And help you like work Absolutely. through some of that shame to actually understand mm-hmm. why that was because I, I think you can't yes. beat yourself up so much for like oh why did I stay with that like how yeah. could I have done that and then especially when you hear those voices from other people too yes you start to yes it's like you can um uh, have almost like an outer body experience and look at the situation from outside and and really have compassion for yourself yeah. when and when all this time you have been thinking man I'm so stupid mm-hmm to even be here, you know? That's one, like, technique that I was just talking to Derek about the other week of, like, literally imagine yourself outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, look at yourself mm-hmm. from third-person view, from above, from the side, however you want to do it. Like, yeah, personify yourself outside of yourself. Yes. And talk to that person. Yes. And my dad was really great about doing that technique with me. Um, When I would be in a really bad place, my dad would say, Raven, get yourself out and just look mm -hmm. at what everyone else sees. He said, said, me and your mother are biased, but we think you're everything. You have so much potential. You are smart. You have everything going for you. You have the best traits of my my dad and my mom's. You Mm. have the best trait of us. And we see all the potential in you. And I'm like, yeah, but you're my parents. He said, yeah, but your little cousins look at you and see this strong woman who's doing this with her education and doing this with her life. And when you're out with them and how you treat other people and how you connect, how you relate, the gifts you have, the things you bring to this world, we are not seeing, there's a disconnect in how you're seeing yourself versus how everyone else is seeing you that love you. Yeah. You know, and how do you what, like? When would you say if you if you can, if there was a moment or a time or a th- technique, maybe it's that that you remember that helped you to take those blinders off and see all of that? Okay, this is going to sound like the most ridiculous. <laughs> it's okay, tool, it's your truth, but is it is my truth? Whenever I would be in the situation and bad things are going on. And when I was outside of that situation and thought like moving past it, it, but I would have a memory or flashback or I was dealing with something, I would, so silly, I would sing Molly Cyrus's The Climb. Okay. And it, for some reason, in my mind, Mm -hmm. took me out of my own body and made me look at me in a different light. And I can't even tell you if every time I, and it sounds so silly, because this is like not Cole uh, Molly Cyrus. This is like <laughs> Hannah Montana Molly Cyrus yeah. with the long mermaid hair Mo- Molly yeah. Cyrus. But I would sing that song to myself and it was a coping mm-hmm. mechanism. The Absolutely. only coping mechanism that I had that would instantly calm me and instantly get me outside of the negative way I was thinking. I think because I, in the song, she says, it's all about the climb. It's all about getting to that 
I know where I'm going. I know the journey I'm going through. It's all about the climb. And so you just got to keep climbing. You just got to keep going. And so that is really how I I felt. I thought, you can keep going. You can keep doing it. And as silly as that song is, even when I I still hear it, (laughs) it's very therapeutic to me. Empowering. Yeah. And it it, it empowered me. Mine was fighter, Christina. Ah, that's a good one too. It, it, def- it made me feel like I'm such a badass and I can take on anything. Yeah. And it made me feel like, try me. Yes. Because yes. I'm so much stronger now that I've been through this and I, I believe in myself mm-hmm. was what it, what it told me and just got me like amped up. Yeah. But I can see where the climb would do that too. I want to look up the climb lyrics and just see like exactly, <laughs> like analyze myself and see exactly yeah. what empowered me. But honestly, it was a whole song. What am I yeah. kidding? Well, that's and everything. that's, I mean, honestly, that's a great coping skill. That's yeah. a great... It's funny how we both had music mm-hmm. as a coping skill. Yes. Music and is so big for me. Music is very big for you. It is not for me. And still we use it yeah. in very therapeutic ways. Were there any ways that you can think of that you coped that were like really unhealthy? Hmm. Let's see. Any unhealthy coping mechanisms? Um, I know mine was like, trying to cope with, trying to cope through other people. Yeah. Like when I tried to do that. Um, and I smoked weed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think my unhealthy coping mechanism is fighting. I yeah. would, anybody that crossed me, I, I would get you. <laughs> I'd get you before you got me. Yeah. And that had everything to do with, I just, you know, go back to vulnerability mm-hmm. You're trying to protect yourself. Yeah. I was a show you were strong. Yeah, exactly. I was a hood rat. Like (laughs) I just like would do my anger and my temper would get away from me. And that was like a huge way I coped. Um, It was also what you experienced. And it's what I experienced. Yeah. And you know, victims (laughs) do what their abusers do. Not that I like went up to anybody and just punched them (laughs) in the face or bit them. But it was give me one small reason. But one small reason to um, uh, belittle me or to dismiss me. Oh, it was on. And even now... (laughs) Taylor witnessed this earlier, but I'll spill a little bit of dirty laundry. Um, I was like, I was group texting my girls at work Mm -hmm. and asked them uh, for a group meeting. And Adam said something like, well, why don't you just set a time? You know, a business owner sets a time. They don't ask their employees. That pissed me off so bad. And I became combative. And it was, and it's not, he's right. It is, he, he's right. And his intention is to help you. And his intention is and to help me. You. But I felt belittled as yeah. a business owner for him to say that. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yep. yep. Did you see and I, that and I get, transpire? Yes. I knew you did. Yes. <laughs> and I get the, like, immediately wanting to, like, in a way, lash out and be like, who yes. do you think you are to tell? Like, and that was. <laughs> I didn't even let him finish his <laughs> sentence. And then, but, like, after that, I apologized, yeah. and I'm like, I just have to say, it's very, very, very hard for me to apologize. I'm very sorry. He said, "Will you belittled me?" Yeah. And I thought, "Oh my God, you that's felt how I felt." Mm-hmm. And I was doing it to him, and I said, "I'm very sorry. I belittled you." Mm-hmm. And I said, "I did not mean to." 
And so, and then we were fine and it moved on. But those little instances, yeah, is... They're, they're very, very real. And I think that was something in the emotional bank account, the emotional piggy bank episode that we talked about where, like, you know, he had came home and didn't bring any food for me. And mm-hmm. immediately I want to be like, is he kidding? Mm-hmm. How unthoughtful of you? Like, who, how selfish? Like, like, yeah. Yeah. I immediately just wanted to go off on him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, uh, what am I really feeling? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Take a sec. Because then I was able to come to him with this like, I'm really hurt. Like yes. that really just hurts my feelings. Yep. And like, I wonder what, if you had taken those three seconds, like what your reaction would have been instead. Exactly. What, what was underneath that, yes. that you could have expressed to him. Exactly. There's always um, another emotion behind anger. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. I needed Our, to slow my roll. Yeah. And I admit that. And I admit that, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. But sometimes you can do that and the damage is done. And mm-hmm. you can't say you're sorry and fix it. And yeah. the struggle. Well, and that's where I think it helps to, like, be in a relationship with someone who is open to, like, being on that journey with you. Oh, absolutely. Like understanding yeah. your past and understanding how that triggers you and understanding and just having compassion mm-hmm. for the fact that you're working through it. Mm-hmm. Like that's yes. a big thing for me. Like you can have, you know, whatever past, you can have whatever issues, but yes. if you come work to me in this relationship and you are willing to work on it and you are willing to look at those really like scary, maybe not so pretty parts of yourself mm-hmm. and you're able to also then accept that about me. Yes. We're on the same team. We can, exactly. I think Taylor, not to get too off topic, but I think that's why you and Derek and Adam and I are lasting and really have yeah. a future together because we both, mm-hmm. both couples know each other are going to fail and do wrong yeah. and you're going to have to work through things. But we're both also very aware we have to be accountable for ourselves and, and help the other person. And so I think that's one of the, and I think that's very rare for couples. Yeah. They don't want the baggage or to deal with mm-hmm. it or set up at night and talk about they it. They don't want to take the responsibility yeah. either. And that's like what you did. You yes. Know? And they don't want to take responsibility for bad actions. And, um, I and think that's, that's, again, that's what happens in abusive relationships too. It's yeah. where you don't take the responsibility yeah. and then it's put on the other person. Exactly. And you're exactly right. So it's very relevant. It's very (laughs) relevant. And I think that's why why I feel like you and Derek are so strong and why I feel like Adam and I are so strong because, you know, you have to hash out those those dirty details that Mm -hmm. you're really embarrassed about yourself that you even have to deal with, you know? And I think one of the most powerful things for me in, in this relationship with Derek is like, going through that work with him, like Mm -hmm. doing that personal work myself, but sharing that with him. Yeah. And that like increases our bond. That makes me feel more connected to him. That's us building trust with each other. Uh And that's something I would have never had in that really abusive relationship. Right. Never. Right. So I guess to, to kind of wrap up a little bit, I want us to kind of work through like a really difficult question that might be a little bit emotional, but what you would say to Raven in that relationship, knowing what you know now and the journey that you've had now, like if you can look back at Raven in that car, looking at those Skittles, 
Mm -hmm. What would you want her to hear? Oh, this is, yeah. (laughs) You got me. Yeah. Um, hmm. Um, one thing that I wouldn't say, um, is that you should have known better or that you're stupid. Why are you here? Because those are the first things that come to mind. That's not what I would want to say though. And would you say that to a friend ever? Like we got to check ourselves. Well, maybe you would. I think I would. (laughs) To be completely honest, I think I would. Um, It's not the right, I mean, I feel like it's not the right way to handle it, but I think I would tell her that trying to word this the right way. One of the things that, a little backstory before I answer, Mm -hmm. one of the things that got me out completely out of the situation um, is when Rihanna was going through her thing with Chris Brown. Mm -hmm. And she had like a date line or like night line interview about it. And my parents made me watch it. And I was so annoyed that they made me watch it. But and I really wanted to watch it. I just didn't want them to know that I wanted mm-hmm. to watch it. Yep. But um, she said, fuck love. She said, love is making me stay in this relationship for what? Fuck love. It's an emotion that is going to tie me to a person who treats me so horribly, who will beat my face in, who will... And, you know, take me out to the woods and try to murder me and abuse my body. For what? For love? For an emotion? For a chemical imbalance in my brain that I'm attached to a person? I want to tell myself to think logically. Because there were moments that... I'm a logical thinker just by nature. Mm-hmm. But there are moments that I had where I was thinking very logically and didn't act on it. And I just want to tell young Raven to fuck love. Fuck love. Fuck it. Even though it's so contra- contradictory to well, and I where I'm ask, at like, now. Is this a, even love? Yeah. Is this love? What, it, what is this? You know, what kind of love is this? Is this the kind of love I really want? Yeah, and I wish there, you know, I don't know what the right words would would be to trigger me in this way, but I wish there was something I could say to her that would remind her of who she was super early on in the game yeah. and that would um, show her how strong she was and remember um, who she really was on the inside. I'm not exactly sure what I would say, though, if she was sitting right here. Um, I know I would be empathetic and sympathetic towards her and, um, tell her, put her gloves on, get to fighting through this, you know, not physically. Start climbing through it. Start climbing through it. Yes. It's all about the, sh- the journey and start mm-hmm. climbing through it. Yeah. How about I you? Think- what would you say? Well, I, I, before you answer that, mm-hmm. I want you. I want to know just by the little that I've told you mm-hmm. right now, what you would have said to me. What I would have said to you, I think, would be very similar as to what I would have said to me. Okay. And first, I would have said, and 
this could be wrong, this could maybe not work, um, what I would feel empathizing would to say, you don't have to be here. You don't have to be here. It's okay to walk away from this. Mm-hmm. You really, really don't have to be here. You don't have to do this another fucking day. Yeah. And you'll be okay. You will be so okay without this. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, because I lost my virginity to him and felt so close to him, I felt like he was the person I was going to be with forever. Yes. And to me, it felt like if I walk away from this, I'm not ever going to have anything else again. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is going to be it. And so wanting to hold on to that and wanting to make it better and wanting so hard to like work at it. I was always, I always believe that like, if you just work at it, you'll work through it. You'll see through it. Same. Yeah. I think that's because we're very loyal people. Yeah. I'm a cancer. Very loyal. Mm-hmm. Leo. Yeah. You know how that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that of just telling her that there will be more after this. Like yeah, there, so much more. See, a little cheesy, I guess. Like there are like brighter days ahead. Like yes. there is more to come after this, and it will be even better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something I've even had to tell one of my closest girlfriends. Where you know, when she got out of one of her relationships, that she was felt like she was never going to find love again. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I would tell her, you know, like I thought that that first love was the only love I was ever going to have, and then I was in this relationship. And then I felt love there. Yeah. And I looked back and I said, oh, that really wasn't my real love then because, you know, yes. I, I feel a different yes. love here. Yeah. And then the next one happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that there's so much more ahead of you. Yeah. And don't sell yourself short. Yes. Yes. Like I told my dad the other day, we were in the kitchen talking and my dad said, man, Raven, you know, you know, we don't come from much. And um, my dad is just super proud. And he came from less than little. And um, he said, man, Raven, just think about the rough times you've had when, you know, I had to carry you off the couch and put you to bed. And like, just think, he said, that's what, this is what I was trying to tell you all along. Like how there was so much more for you. Mm -hmm. And how valuable you were. And he said, I'm so glad that you see it now. And he said, but people get stuck in the situation they're in and think they're only as good at the situation. They're only as good as they are in the situation they are in. And all the rejection, all the hurt, all of that you're feeling, you didn't think you were good and better than that. And you were. And that situation is so temporary. And it's, that's exactly what he said. And it was so passing and fleeting. And yet you almost let it ruin you. And he was just saying, first of all, he was kind of saying, I told you so. (laughs) And then he was also saying like how grateful he was Mm -hmm. that I was out of that. And that I finally saw what he saw. And that was really a moment that I'll, I think I'll always remember him saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's very proud of you for being yeah. on the journey and processing everything that you have. Yeah. And even, you know, you're in a much, much, much better place than you were then, but that 
he sees you also continuing to work on that and that you're only going to continue to grow, I think. Right. I have to, I pulled up these lyrics because I have to share it. Yep, let's do it. I'm not going to do the chorus because everybody knows the chorus. So I'm just going to like, before we close, I'm just Mm going to give you a little insight of exactly the mental state I was in. So the The climb. The climb. So if you're going through an abusive relationship, like Taylor and I went through, this is really what helped me. And just the lyrics itself really resonated with me. So anyway, here we go. Not going to sing it. I'll say it. (laughs) It says, I can almost see it, the dream I'm dreaming, but there's a voice inside my head that keeps saying you'll never reach it. Zam, I'm already going to cry. I can't believe I'm crying to Molly's eyes. It's okay. Every step I'm taking, every move I make feels lost with no direction. My faith is shaking, but I got to keep trying. Got to keep my head held high. And then the second verse says, the struggles I'm facing, the chances I'm taking, sometimes might knock me down, but no, I'm not breaking. I may not know it, but these are the moments that I'm going to remember the most. Just got to keep going. I got to be strong. I got to keep pushing on. There's always going to be another mountain to move. So keep on climbing or keep on moving. Keep on climbing. Keep the faith, baby. It's all about, it's all about the climb. Keep your faith. Keep your faith. And as silly as it is that it is um, almost Disney Molly Cyrus that was singing mm-hmm. this song, um, those lyrics for me were, I mean, what got me through. Yeah. So I hope everyone that's listening to this can find some strength in me and Taylor, even mm-hmm. though we're both <laughs> very teary-eyed and runny nose. Hey, this is strength right here. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is strength. Don't mistake these tears for weakness. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, that, you know, you find some solace mm-hmm. in knowing that you can come through it and become better mm-hmm. and stronger and love again and have yes. everything you've ever wanted. And the situation is temporary. Yes. Take you your own blinders off. Mm-hmm. Take your own blinders off. Take those blinders off. You don't have to be, you don't have to be there. You don't have to. Yeah. It may seem that way. But it'll feel like it. But again, where you said like you wish you could talk to yourself like and tell yourself to think logically. Yes. You know, we know these things logically when we're in them. Um, Even when I was in grad school and in a relationship that like at times was a little bit abusive. Mm -hmm. I would think like I would sort of shame myself like, you know, I'm I'm in school to be a counselor and I shouldn't be taking this. But like, yes, here I am, you know, and that it's... Uh It doesn't discriminate against no. how smart you are or how much knowledge you have mm-hmm. or how many times you've been through it. Like if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're yes, whatever, it, it really doesn't discriminate. And to have some self-compassion with yourself there, that this is like a universal thing that yes. people in, you know, in gay relationships, people yep. in straight relationships, mm-hmm. like this, 
it can happen and vice to versa. anyone. I mean, it can happen to a man. It can happen in a platonic relationship. Yeah. It, absolutely. I wish Kit was on here because he did, um, and he's shared bits and pieces of this, I think, in other episodes, but he was, he was married once, and that relationship was very abusive, and she was actually suffering from a personality disorder. But, um, you know, especially when mental health comes into the picture, like mm-hmm. it, it can turn very abusive and very uh, dependent. Right. Um, so I wish he was here, and I'm sure we'll do an episode at some point where he does open yeah. up more about that. But yeah, it doesn't. Men can experience this too. Um, it's it's really all across the board. What was it last night we were watching with Elanya? Elanya. What was she saying in the um, the things that women say about themselves? It yes. was. Well, she was basically saying, and this is what Brene Brown says too. She says, we shame and judge people in areas where we feel shame and judgment. Yes. So Alanya was saying, um, what you say about her is a reflection of, of what you. you believe, what your values are, and who you think you are. Yeah. A woman tells the world what she, she is, who she is, what she values, what she believes. Yep. And I think we were maybe saying her name wrong i know i was because my i say like i call her yolanda and that is not her name there's not even it doesn't begin with the y yeah and i'm like yolanda um rob who was on the biracial episode loves her and he (laughs) he responded (laughs) in my instagram story and said be better pronunciate pronunciation e yanla e yanla e yanla yeah, he spelled that it out for me. Yes, but yeah, she said that last night, and yeah. so it's really important to reflect on and remember whatever you're saying mm-hmm. is a reflection of who you think you are, what your beliefs are, what you value, mm-hmm. even when you're saying about someone else. Yeah, and what she did for someone who was saying bad things about themselves, and, and this may help you uh, trying to uh, stop the way you're thinking due to mm-hmm. what you've been through with a emotional or physical abuse is she wrote on the mirror the things that the lady was saying about herself and then she would look in the mirror and Mm -hmm. or said about someone else and then she would look in the mirror and say like these are the things I'm saying about me so how do I change this so maybe if you like and I've done this before write a little sticky note and put it Mm -hmm. on the mirror of positive things and maybe you should do some with negative things and then see why am I saying that negative thing and sometimes you'll come to find like you can't actually even say those things out loud. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's kind of when you know. And I think even for someone who's maybe listening and hearing this through your classmate, you know, mm-hmm. that that it's kind of from a judgmental standpoint that it's yes. from a, you know, well, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, that's not right. Like, yeah. I don't have any sympathy for you. Um, that what is that really saying? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that's where I had to check myself even when I didn't stand up. Yes. Wait, why am I not standing up? Isn't it funny how we like have this psychology background, the both of us, and then we've also been through it and we still yet have all the tools and we still yet do the things that really hurt us because we suffer from humanitis. All of us do. Exactly. We're all human. Exactly. One thing I did um, in my active mind speech, that was like, you know, what I took away from being on the show. Um, and it was like, you know, the stigma is not only real for people suffering with mental health, but also from people working in the field, mm-hmm. um, you know, that 
there's just such the stigma around it that we should be these like perfect people and we should know how to handle every little thing yeah. um, that comes our way and we're these like compassionate robots and it's like no we're human too and right. like it's really important that we practice self-compassion in mm-hmm. that area because if we're sitting here shaming ourselves and judging ourselves about that like how are we then going to be able to actually express empathy to someone else who's going through it? You right, know? exactly. And just that like, yeah, it is okay. Even though we have the background and like we know mm-hmm. this stuff, like yes. we got to have compassion for ourselves and know that yeah. we're human too. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're all just human. Just, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Well, thank you so much for like sharing and opening up. And Yes, this is like so therapeutic. Yeah. Good to talk about things. It even is good when to it's talk about things. <laughs> and hopefully we've helped people yeah. when they hear this. And, you know, maybe when you post this, I'm sure you'll do like a hotline or something to mm-hmm. for them to call or yeah, so in the talk episode, to someone. In the episode notes, uh, there will be different links for different resources for you guys to check out. Um, and highly, highly recommend looking at some of those. And of course, I'll also put on there uh, psychologytoday.com, which mm-hmm. I usually put in most of them, um, which will help you find a clinician or a therapist in your area. Yes. And the hardest part about seeing a therapist, because a lot of people are scared, the hardest part is just walking through the door. That is the hardest part. Yeah. And from there, you get some healing. Mm-hmm. So I encourage everybody, I challenge you just to walk through a therapist's door. Yeah. That is the hardest thing you'll have to do. So, yep. And I do get a lot of emails and questions about that. And, you know, it's okay if the first therapist you meet, it didn't work out with or you didn't feel yeah. like a sh- connection or, yeah. uh-huh. you know, just because the first one doesn't work out doesn't mean that another one won't. Yeah. So yes. Agreed. again, keep pushing on with that. Yeah, it's about the climb. Yeah, it is. Just keep climbing. Just keep climbing. And you guys probably all know where you can find Raven, but uh, you guys can find her on Instagram at Raven Nicole Gates and also at her shop, uh, Shop Grace Wade. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Really cute stuff on there. So definitely recommend checking out her shop. She works incredibly hard. Yeah, Taylor knows. (laughs) Taylor Taylor has stayed the weekend, her and Derek with Adam and I, so she knows the struggle is for real. Working really hard, but thank you again so much for being open and and sharing this part of, of your life with all of us. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk About It. I love getting feedback from you guys, so please leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're liking about the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.